and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the miserly Matt. Hello there. And uh, today we are discussing A Christmas Carol. Yeah, from Christmas Day 2010. Yeah, uh, basically a whole decade uh, Yeah, near enough. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this episode? Mixed bag, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a really good cast. Yeah. Doing really good performances. Yeah. In a not very good story mm. that is plagued with inconsistencies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I have one particular bugbear about it, which we will get to mm. uh, in due course. But um, I I just think yeah. because it's a Christmas one, they've tried to make it like a fun little jaunt, and yeah. a little bit silly, yeah, and it just didn't work for me. Yeah, because I'll be honest. I don't tend to re-watch the Christmas specials very often. Mm. If I'm like just re-watching some Doctor Who, I'll often skip them. I have not seen this since its original broadcast uh, until uh, literally last night when I was watching it. And uh, to be honest, I was I was kind of getting... I maybe wasn't in the best mindset because I was like, I'm watching Doctor Who, but I really wanted to be watching the new episode of Doctor Who. Because, mm. uh, full disclosure, we're recording this the same week as uh, uh, we recorded uh, the previous episode. So... Yeah, it was literally yesterday. Um, the new episode of uh, the first episode of series twelve was out. Desperately wanted to watch it, but I was like, oh, "I've got, I've got to eat my greens first and watch a Christmas Carol." So I maybe wasn't in the best frame of mind for it. And also, we've literally just had Christmas. Yeah. We're in the least. I'm on. The, I'm very much on the wind down now with Christmas. You know, yeah. we've had the New Year, and and I'm just like, I'm, I'm. Happy putting my feet up for a couple of days, but I'm I'm done with festiveness for the year. Why why do Doctor Who writers just fucking love Christmas Carol? We've seen two <laughs> episodes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the Unquiet Dead does very different things with it in that it's just Dickens and like we it's not a, a riff on Christmas Carol the way that this is. This is a very conscious let's take the bare bones concept of a christmas carol and a uh, slap a load of doctor who paint on it mm. um to yeah mixed results i think um there are elements of it that i really like and i remember being quite charmed with it when i watched it at the time but i don't think it has aged well um in a lot of ways so I, yeah i don't know if if i asked you to pick out what is the best thing about this episode Michael Camden. Okay. What's the second best thing? What What is the uh, plot highlight? The plot highlight. Um, I do like the fish. Really? Yeah, and I think that I knew that we would be differently, uh, feel differently about the fish. Uh, I I think I have a higher tolerance for whimsy than you in general. I won't call this whimsy. I'd call it just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just like. Like, no, I, I, I'm, I'm especially in a Christmas story. I'm willing to to go with with a flight of fancy like that. Um, and the the doc, a lot of sci-fi universes, it would be a bridge too far. Doctor Who is a malleable enough, strange enough universe that uh, this isn't the weirdest thing that exists in the world of Doctor Who. Not by a long like, shot. Uh, when. 
when it's weird, yeah, you can dismiss it and just go, oh, it's aliens. Yeah. But here, it's just quite literally fish. Yeah. And I'm sorry if there's any fish fans listening. <laughs> they're not even the most interesting animal. No, but I think they're fairly easy to animate. <laughs> A bit rubbish. Uh, no, I, I I enjoy the fish. I enjoy the fish. Um, but there's lots that I do not particularly enjoy about this story. I think it's fair to say. Certainly on my second watch of it yesterday, and uh, one thing in particular left a really sour taste. Uh, well, but, we'll get to yeah. the end, and then we can pick it apart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So, there's a spaceship experiencing turbulence, uh-huh. and there's a distress signal from the honeymoon suite. Yeah, it turns out Amy sent it. Amy and Rory are on their honeymoon. Yes. Now the distress signal was sent to the doctor from the honeymoon suite. Uh huh. And Amy and Rory at this point are just having a bit of honeymoon horseplay. (laughs) Yeah. So Amy's dressed as a policewoman. Yeah, in her old kissogram costume. And Rory's dressed as a centurion. Yeah. Very different from my honeymoon. (laughs) I, I don't know if I've ever told you what happened on my. Uh, I don't know that you have, no. On the very first day, so we had to get the train, so we stayed at my mum and dad's house. Yeah. About three in the morning, our train was about eight, I think. Mm-hmm. I just woke up, doubled over in pain. Oh my goodness. Throwing up everywhere in absolute agony. And it turns out I had gallstones. <laughs> but I, I was too stubborn to like not go on my honeymoon. Uh-huh. I didn't want to like disappoint my wife. So the very first day... I was on the train, being sick, all the way to Edinburgh. Oh, God. Then my wife had booked us into, like, a cat cafe. Uh-huh. Uh, I just went on one of the sofas, just curled up, fell asleep. Oh, just my had God. cats climbing all over me. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first day of my honeymoon, I spent in bed, basically throwing up, mm. whilst my wife just watched, like, Deal or No Deal and ordered some Domino's pizzas, I think. That's uh, the height of romance. Yeah. yeah. I felt better by the second. Oh, good. I'm pleased. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. So, the TARDIS appears. Yeah. And then we get the titles. Now... You say the TARDIS appears. It doesn't materialise on the ship. No. It's down on this planet. Yeah. Because basically the Doctor can't, like, lock onto the ship. It's too much turbulence. So, I've just written, the future appears very Victorian. Yeah. Because it's not the future. Different planet. Yeah, but... We haven't gone to different planets yet. No. So it must be in, even if it's in the future. It's, oh, it's in, it's in the future, but it's on a different planet. And yeah. I don't know. We've had, I, I don't know, in our lifetime, there seems to be about 14 80s revivals. Well, yeah. It's not... <laughs> but not like the 1880s. <laughs> yeah, but that's thought, the thing. You like... know what I really like? <laughs> Cholera. <laughs> Should we bring that back? Yes, I mean, obviously it's all an excuse, but I, I kind of like the sort of steampunky flavour to this world. Oh, see, I really um, don't. It's just a really uninteresting period in history for me. Mm. It's just like modern day, just not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Bit more formally dressed. Yeah, and everything's gas powered. Yeah. Rubbish. So, this is where we're introduced to. Kazran Sardik. Kazran Sardik. Kazran Sardik. Yep. Uh, played by Michael Gambon. Yeah. And he's a miser. He's basically Mr. Scrooge. So. He is, yeah. And he has Catherine Jenkins just frozen in a box. Yeah. Really dates this episode because there was just that weird period where Catherine Jenkins was big. 
Was there? Because I'll be honest, that passed me by oh, entirely. There's just like a random bit where everyone was <laughs> like, and I'll be honest, I think it's because she's beautiful. Mm. Everyone was like, this woman's amazing. She can sing. Yeah. Like proper opera, not stupid stuff. Uh, and yeah. this is an incredibly sexist thing to say. Mm. I don't think she'd have got as far without her looks. I don't think that is an unreasonable assumption to make. I don't think people yeah. care enough about opera nowadays. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as it's a beautiful woman doing it. Yeah. And and she is like very classically beautiful yeah. in that sort of like way that I'll be honest, and this maybe says a lot about me. I'm not I'm not really attracted to like women who are that beautiful. Mm. We it was a bit of a running joke when I yeah. was at university. There was a girl on our course who was stunning. Yeah. But I, I can't e- I couldn't even tell you her real name. But <laughs> her nickname was just simply unobtainable. <laughs> and she was so beautiful. I wasn't yeah. attracted to her because I yeah. was just like not a chance. Bloat like me doesn't get yeah. a girl like that. Yeah. That's not to say that my current wife isn't beautiful. She's very lovely. Yeah, but like I say it's it's that specifically it's that as I say classical beauty, the kind of beauty that we are trained to interpret as beautiful because you know every model has that kind of face and and you know so it's like it's i think it's almost like conditioning i don't know that without that kind of conditioning would we innately yeah think those people are as beautiful i don't i genuinely don't know if i said to you what are you most attracted to Catherine jenkins about like i'll be honest nothing like i say i'm not i don't i genuinely like, I don't can agree find that she's her beautiful. Att- yeah. But, yeah, there's a difference between beautiful and attractive. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think attractive is a, is a very much more personal thing that varies greatly from from person to person. I mean, but from all accounts, from what I've seen of her, she does seem like a very nice person and she does loads for charity. Yeah, so and... I don't want to just yeah. write her off as no. like, a looker. No, absolutely. And cracking pair of pipes on her, she can sing. That's inappropriate. <laughs> Have you never heard that phrase before? Don't talk about her breasts. <laughs> <laughs> you may as well have said nice knocks. I was trying to like stem away from that. Is that. No, that is not no. what I was in, it referring no, it's fine. to. It's fine. <laughs> so rude. Absolutely. <laughs> Moving on. So the reason he's got her in a box freezer is he took her as security on a loan. Mm-hmm. So her family needed money. For some reason, he just said, all right, I'll take her. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's not a spoiler to say he's got loads of people in freezers. Yes, that's, his, that's his thing. Now, <laughs> no, I, I was going to address my main problem, but I'm going to yeah. come back to it later. On. Okay. Okay, because he controls the cloud layer. Yeah. So this planet has thick, dense, like smoky fog all mm-hmm. around it, mm-hmm. and he can control it. So access to and from this planet all goes through him. Yeah. Now, the reason he's important is obviously <coughs> we've got this spaceship that's going to crash, mm-hmm. and if he would only open the clouds, then it'd be able to land safely. Yeah. But the clouds are what are distorting it, and he just doesn't seem fussed. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Okay. So, as Catherine Jenkins' family are speaking to him, I think they're trying to plead that he can just let her out for one day since yeah. it's nearly Christmas. Yeah. Uh, the doctor comes down the chimney, a bit like Santa Claus. Yeah. And the reason he's there is because there's a flashy lighty thing. And 
he's yeah. always attracted to flashy lighty things. Yes. Yeah. And that is the panel that opens and closes the clouds. Mm-hmm. So he starts having a go on it. Um, so talk, doing his usual thing, like talking a million miles a, a second, you know, uh, just ra- rabbiting away. So that's poking away at it. And uh, only Sardic can control it. Yeah, because it's isomorphic controls. And I do quite like the bit of business where it's like, uh, uh, the driver's like, isomorphic control, no such thing, you know, and, and sort of keeps. And then uh, Sardic like demonstrates, like, switches it on. Switches off, and Doctor tries just like, hmm, these are isomorphic controls. <laughs> right. So he still refuses to help. So on the way out, the little boy, who's a relation of Catherine Jenkins, I think it's her nephew. Yeah. Just throws a lump of coal at his head. Yeah. Pretty brutal. I wouldn't be helping people if they act like that. But I just want to just hang a hat on this. Uh-huh. It's a little boy. Yes. That throws coal. At Yes. I'm going to remind you of that fact later. Okay. Okay. So, Sardak gets up and yeah. he's going to give the boy a hand. Yeah. Just as his father used to to him. Yeah. So, But know, he, he's, he resists at the last, at the last minute. minute. So yeah. the doctor begins psychoanalyzing him. Mm. He says, you know, you've got a nice picture of your father there, but none of the chairs face it because you can't bear to look at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the doctor calls Amy and says, I can't help right now, but I'll make sure you're okay. Just yes. You're going to have to put up with the panic for a moment. Yeah. And a man warns the Doctor of fish. Yeah. Because in this fog layer, there are fish. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's not how fish work. <laughs> Plus, when the fish come out of the fog, yeah. they're like zero gravity fish as well. Yeah. They don't just flop on the deck. They're magic space fish. Absolute bollocks. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, back with Sardik up in his, like, sitting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a vision of when he's young and how awful his dad is to him. Yeah. Um, so, th- we've had the bit where the doctor has said to him, look, you're you're different to your father because you didn't hit the boy. Like, yeah. You know, pretty key moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he's seeing it's like a projection on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Well, at first he thinks he's having a vision. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Projecting it. on, yeah. Because uh, the doctor says he's the ghost of Christmas past. So Sardik shouts at him. So to prove that he's quote unquote magical, yeah. The doctor gets in the TARDIS, goes back in time to when Sardik was a little boy, mm-hmm. and appears in the video. Yeah. Okay. And as a concept, that, that's quite a fun sort of. Yeah. We've never seen the TARDIS being used in that way before. That's uh, like. So, Watching history He's change in real time. Because he wants to alter Sardin. Yeah. So he wants to prove to him that he's a good person in the yeah. hope that he will open the clouds. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he explains to young Sardik that he's his babysitter and he mm-hmm. says, Look, I've got a certificate that proves I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> yeah, uses whips out the psychic paper. But when young Sardik looks at it, it's just squiggly lines because it's a lie too big <laughs> that the Doctor is a responsible adult. Yes, I like that gag. So, one of the reasons that Sardik is quite introverted in his youth and mm. doesn't mingle with the other children yeah. is that there was a day that he was off school ill. Yeah. And as a result, he missed a massive fish attack. Yeah. So all the fish descended... It's apparently this huge historical event. Yeah. But Sadik was in bed, ill. Yeah. 
and missed it. So he sort of like almost bullied for that by his peers, and that's why he's withdrawn. Yeah, he has this kind of fascination with the fish. Yeah, but... so everyone's got a story about them. But yeah, yeah. So the Doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to summon a fish. Mm. So he like ties it to a bit of string. Yeah. And he's using it almost like a fishing rod. So they're yes. sat in a cupboard. Yeah. The string's tied to the doctor's finger. And when it attracts the fish, he'll know. Yes. Okay. The problem being that it attracts a huge shark. Yes. Well, it attracts a little fish first. Yeah. But, uh, you know, fish rules. B- little fish eaten by the bigger fish. Okay. So, yeah. So they hide back in the cupboard. But mm-hmm. the fish, the shark, sorry, starts smashing through the door. Yeah. And, and at one point eats half his sonic screwdriver? Yeah, because the doctor says, you know, his mouth's wide open. He's oh, no, held the, whole the thing. door yeah. like yeah. in such a position that he might be able to reach in. Yeah. And he says, well, we've only got four chances at this. <laughs> yeah. And when Sardik says, why four? He goes, well, I've got two arms, you've got two arms. Yeah. I thought that was quite a good job. Yeah, so, and he manages to retrieve half yes. the, the screwdriver, but not the other. But... The shark's beginning to die outside the cloud. So yeah. they can't exist outside the cloud other than short, like, I think they say raids to yes. get down, yeah. swoop some food, and yeah. head back up. Okay? So, in order to preserve it, Sardik takes the Doctor down to the ice chamber, mm-hmm. and that's where the surplus population is stored. Yeah. Now, is that because... Is that a relevant phrase... Does it ever acknowledge that the population's too big, or is it literally how he perceives people? I think surplus? it's. I think that's it. It's like it's like it's basically in order to to have money, uh, it be lent money by Sardik, and you get the impression that Sardik, the Sardik family, essentially control this, if not the world, then certainly this part of that world, yeah. um, and. There is basic and like everyone else is kept in such poverty that sooner or later they're going to need a loan, and the only thing they'll accept as collateral is a human being. So, you know, they they basically families are having to decide who is the most expendable person within our family mm. that we can pop them on ice and potentially never have them back again. So the boy takes the doctor down into this ice chamber mm-hmm. they see Catherine Jenkinson's tank again yeah shall we I mean we keep referring to her as Catherine Jenkins shall we she, she's, uh, well it's at this point we, we find out she's we, called we Abigail. get her name yeah Abigail yeah okay so whilst they're down there the shark wakes up homing in on the other half of the sonic screwdriver mm-hmm. and when it attacks Abigail's tank opens and she placates the shark through singing yeah because I mean, why would you hire a famous opera singer if not to do some operaing in your episode? Imagine if that didn't work. <laughs> if a shark was like bursting through our door right yeah. now, and I was like, "Oh, David, do something," and he just belt out a bit of Wonderwall. <laughs> yeah, I mean that probably wouldn't help matters no. greatly. Yeah, but it's. They they're going with they are leaning really heavily into the fairy tale vibe with this episode. So I mean, naturally, it does work. And uh, yes. So when she sings, obviously, young Sardik hears it. Yeah. That creates a new memory for old Sardik. So we see yes. him 
break into a little smile for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, they go up to the cloud belt in the TARDIS to release the shark. Mm -hmm. And when the Doctor introduces himself as the Doctor, she says, oh, are you one of my Doctors? Mm. And that's the first illusion we sort of get that there's more to her than just a beautiful singer. Yeah. There's something more going on there. Yeah. So, when they go to put Abigail back in the freezer, mm -hmm. they say, right, we'll visit you next Christmas Eve. Well, they, uh, I mean, specifically young Kazran uh, volunteers that. He, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, the Doctor visits every Christmas Eve. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the Doctor's like, do I? Like, yeah. Okay, so they say, we'll see you next year. But yeah. as they do, on the front of Abigail's freezer... There's like a dial, a yeah. numerical display yeah. that ticks down from eight to seven. Yeah. Okay. So the next year, they build a sleigh pulled by the shark. Yeah. That's right. a bit whimsical, shall yeah. we say? It certainly is. I don't buy into the whimsy. Yeah, that's evident. Okay. <laughs> and we keep getting cuts of old Sardit remembering Christmases yeah. from the past. Yeah, this and, this whole section, it's just a bit a big long montage, basically, yeah. isn't it, of various Christmas but Eves. each Christmas, that freezer yeah. ticks down. Yeah. And every Christmas, when the freezer opens, Abigail says, oh, Doctor. Yeah. Except at one point, it opens and she goes, oh, because he's been recast at this point as an older actor yeah. because like he's some, somehow magically aged about you know eight years in the in the space of one year <laughs> you know that's how tv works this, this is where it gets to the bit that i don't really like yeah okay so at this point the doctor says oh we can do anything you want and she says well why don't we do christmas why don't we do this christmas yeah and they go to to meet Abigail's family. Yes. Right. Now, this is the bit I want to talk about. Okay. So, we've seen Abigail's family in the future when yes. Kazran's an old man. Yes. And then we see them in the past when he's a young man. Yeah. They haven't aged or changed at all. <laughs> the young boy yeah. from earlier. Yeah. He, this is before his birth. But he, he's, he's still there. He's still there. You know, if her sister was this age now... Yeah. Why hasn't she aged at the same rate as Kazran? Why isn't she an old lady in the future? I, d I have no answer for this. It, like... It's... It, yeah. you just got to go with it, haven't you? Like... It's, I, I, it's an oversight, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, but it's a massive oversight. I don't know, because it's such a throwaway scene. You don't see them again. They don't. They barely interact. But this is like the important scene. This is where you know she finally has her Christmas. Yeah. And we see Kazran isn't an old miser. He's a nice guy. Well, I think this touches on my big bugbear of this episode, which is that Abigail is basically not a person. Mm. She is not treated in this story. As a person, she is a plot device. Everything she does. So, so obviously the fact that she is, first of all, she's essentially a MacGuffin in a box, you know, just like a thing in a box. Then she is, um, at, at various points in the story, she's like the shark whisperer and she's there just to kind of get them out of a fix. Then she's essentially, you know, an object of desire for Kazran. 
she gets no opportunity to be developed as her own person. I I just read it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth the way they treat frankly the only woman in this story except for a little bit of Amy later on. Um it's kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we say? Um I don't really know what else I can say about that other than the fact they're just like they don't it's not it it doesn't sit well with me mm. at all. Plus I mean We'll get to it eventually. The number ticking down yeah. on the front of her freezer is how many days she has left. She's very yeah. unwell. Yeah. What's wrong with her? Yeah. We don't know. Apparently... Just basically... Like, yeah. Plus, what doctor says <laughs> you have exactly eight <laughs> yeah. days to live? Yeah. And... Like I yeah. say, what, at the end... And what, what her illness... Her symptoms <laughs> never worsen until yeah. that ticks down and she just goes... I'm dead now. Yeah. End. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I, I don't know, it must be some kind of weird space disease, but, like, every disease that that, uh, that will, will actually bring someone to the point of death that I'm aware of in this country, uh, in this uh, world, results in some pretty horrible symptoms sooner or later. Yeah. You will look like you are close to death before you die. Yeah, like, not Abigail, <laughs> she's belting out a fucking opera. Yeah. If you Looking well, very if, nicely turned out well whilst she does it. To do that in the snow, <laughs> might I add, <laughs> you are not at death's door. Yeah, and again, it's one of, and it's an example of this episode basically just being like fairy tale rules. Yeah, it's just like it, it. It's this way because it's this. This is the story. What are you going to do about it? In the it, it, so it's like it's overly simplistic yeah. in how it treats complex things. And then overly complex in how the story progresses. Because, again, it's an excuse for Moffat to play around with time travel. So, going back to the scene, it's Christmas Eve. Yeah. Obviously, Abigail's going to run out of time, so she can't be there on Christmas. So her sister says, well, let's have Christmas now. And this is one of the bits I did like in this episode. Uh Uh-huh is the interaction between the Doctor and Abigail's nephew when he's doing the card trick. Mm -hmm. So he attempts to do a card trick, and he says, your card is the Nine of Diamonds, I think. Yeah. And the nephew just goes, no. And he goes, (laughs) oh, that's good, because I was going to say the Three of Spades. And he goes, no. And the Doctor just ends up going, are you doing it wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean... uh, There's a brilliant bit later, Yes. Where they pull Christmas crackers. Yeah. And the little boy goes, how did you put a card in my cracker? Yeah. And he looks at it and it's not even his card either. And the <laughs> doctor's just like... <laughs> yeah. No, it, that is... That's, for, for all of this episode's flaws, I'm, I'm still really enjoying the 11th Doctor. Uh, oh, yeah. I, it's a great characterization, a great version of this Doctor, I think. You know, that he is... Uh, the way, Especially the way he interacts with children, actually. We've seen that throughout... His run so far, I really like all of his interactions with children. Really, yeah. yeah. He plays Matt Smith as an actor seems to be really adept at working with like younger well, actors. I would say and... with everyone because he speaks yeah. to elderly characters exactly the same as he speaks to young. Yeah, ones. yeah. It, there's like an equality to how yes, he yeah. Him. And also, he's very good with the guest stars, like. You know, we we saw that with Vincent and the Doctor. I think we see it again with this one. He really gives Michael Gambon the space to effectively, mm. you know, 
give the performance he needs to give because it's you know it's a big performance you know Michael Gamma's obviously playing this very conflicted character he's also playing the evil father of you know so yeah. it's like a dual role Gambit is amazing in this in this episode for all as I say so great acting it's it's really the fault lies in the script I think yeah. primarily so yeah. following her Christmas Abigail's about to get back in the freezer but she gives Kazran a big kiss mm-hmm and old Kazran begins looking at his box of memories. Yeah. It turns out he's got like a big portrait of Abigail on the wall now. Yeah, yeah. And he's got photos of them going around the world. And the next Christmas Eve, Abigail is crying. Yeah. Is this the one where they're at like a mad house party at Frank Sinatra's yes. house? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, the doctor's accidentally gotten engaged to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. So, she needs to tell Kazran the truth. But just as they kiss, the Doctor appears and says, you know, I need to go. I'm engaged to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So, Abigail goes back in the freezer. Yeah. Okay. And as he does, the Doctor says, you know, oh, I'll see you next year. And Kazran goes, oh, we may as well just not bother. Yeah. So, something's changed at this point. Yes. I think yeah. he says times change. Yeah. Okay. So, the Doctor gives Kazran the broken sonic screwdriver... And the counter on Abigail's freezer is on one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next Christmas Eve is when Sardik's dad completes the cr- the cloud machine. And the d- Sardik goes to pick up the sonic screwdriver mm-hmm. and the doctor appears. Yeah. Okay. So he interrupts him using it. I don't know whether what his intention was with it then. But the doctor appears and like knocks on the window. So he, he was it back. He was going to. He was toying with the idea of summoning the doctor back, mm. but then obviously he didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. So he like closes the curtains. It's like young Sadie yeah. now long now no longer wants that association with the doctor. Yes. So old Sadik finds the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. At that point, Amy appears to him. Yeah. And says, "Well, I'm the ghost of Christmas present." Yeah. You need to see what you're causing. So there's a projection of everyone on board. They all sing Silent Night to him in the hope it will turn him nice. I mean, yeah, that's not actually the reason, but, you know. Again, it's it's shark stuff. I don't know if I told you this. Whilst we're talking about Christmas, I know this episode's going out a few weeks later. Yeah. We're in the new year whilst we record. Yeah. But me me and my wife went to Midnight Mass for Christmas this year. How was that? I, I thought it'll be like a school assembly. We'll belt out some hymns. It'll be a good laugh. It'd be nice yeah. to see people. Mm. Well, I didn't realise the church where I live is a devout Catholic and it was <laughs> the most joyless hour of the whole Christmas <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I had to apologise to all for all my sins. Yeah. I had to... Tell everyone that the power of God is with them. Yeah. Not to worry in the new year. Yeah. I got fed communion wafer by yeah. a, an old man. Literally put his finger in my mouth. Yeah. It was really weird. That's what happens. Yeah. Didn't enjoy that, but I did yeah. see Silent Night. That's, that's oh, where that's it like, and, and that did that make it. So you didn't feel like you weren't feeling super Christmassy after. No, I, I thought <laughs> it would be. You know, it's Christmas. I thought it'd be a much more relaxed affair. Yeah. I had to shake hands with yeah. everyone in the church. Uh, was there even one person wearing a pair of antlers? No, there was no. people wearing Christmas jumpers. Yeah. But what they weren't wearing was a smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. 
but anyway, yeah. And I think my wife's been too nice about it. Yeah. She's like, oh, it was all right. But I think it's because it was my suggestion. She didn't want to make me feel bad and like, oh, it was awful. Yeah. But it was. So you won't be going back next year? No. <laughs> so, here we find out that Abigail was ill going into the ice. We knew that. Uh-huh. And she used up all her time on her adventures. Okay. So, Amy then tries the opposite of her previous plan and projects Sadik onto the ship. Yeah. He still refuses to help despite seeing people screaming, crying, running around. Okay. So, the Doctor this time says, well, why don't we show you Christmas future? Yeah. And Sadik says, well, how are you going to do that? And the Doctor says, well... I'm doing it right now because he's brought young Kazran along with him. Yeah. To the point he thinks old Kazran is his dad. Yes. Because his dad was this joyless, miserable soul, mm-hmm. much like old Kazran is. Yep. Okay. So eventually Kazran concedes and says, fine, I'm going to save the ship. Yeah. But when he goes to the machine, he's changed so much it no longer recognizes him. Uh-huh. So it did recognise him when he was old and miserable like his father. But, he's but changed. now he's yeah. joyful. Yeah. It doesn't recognise him. Yeah. Okay. Can we so, just say that is some absolute bullshit? Because like, I assumed it would be like genetic based, but apparently yeah. it's, it's like no. It's, and yeah, it's like based on his personality. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the doctor then says, "Well, I've got another plan. Yeah. We can use the sonic screwdriver to use fish." To save the ship. Mm. Okay. But. We need it to resonate at the right frequency. And the only frequency we know. That works in calming the fish. Is Abigail's voice. Mm. So we can use her final day. To save all these people. Yeah. Okay. So. The ship. Then hears the singing. Abigail stood in the middle of town. Just belting out a little. little bit of opera. Yeah. And I think it, it maybe this was it was a song written for the episode. Really? I'm not sure. I would have to double check that, which I can't be asked to do. But uh, I think it might have been. Yeah. So it works. All the fish guide the ship, and the clouds unlock. Yeah. But when clouds unlock, it snows. Ah. Oh, so nobody had ever nice? seen the clouds unlock, but you get yeah. a nice little snow. Yeah. And ultimately, they say goodbye to the doctor. Yeah. And the episode ends with Kazran and Abigail flying off in the shark sled. Yeah. Have their one final Christmas together. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, if you excuse the pun, I think this episode was a bit fishy. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't excuse the pun. You, that is <laughs> that is inexcusable. I mean, but I, uh, I yes. said last week, I think we're over the brow of the hill yeah. with this season. This is like crashing down <laughs> the other side, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, where would uh, this, this is this, a discussion I, for another time, maybe? But where would you rate this compared to other Christmas specials you've seen? Is it near the bottom of the pack, or possibly? Because what did we have? We had the Christmas Invasion. Yeah, that was pretty good. Runaway Bride. Runaway Bride, yeah. probably up there for me. Voyage of the Damned. Oh, uh, that one wasn't yeah. fantastic. And I guess the next one. Oh, the next Doctor. Yeah. And uh, The End of Time Part 1 was technically a Christmas special. Uh, that one was good. I think I like the ones where it's linked yeah. to them. This was very much a Christmas special, wasn't yes, it? It's like yeah. a one-off. Yeah. I like the ones where it's just like another episode. Yeah, because it, it was 
trying really hard to be Christmassy. Um, it was uh, it sidelined Amy and Rory so we could make room for the guest performers, and uh, yeah. so it does feel very divorced from everything we've had up until this point. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's difficult because like I do think there is stuff to like about it. The essential idea of riffing on a Christmas Carol, I think, is strong. I, th- for my money, a Christmas Carol is the best Christmas story ever written that remains that way i think have you never seen home alone <laughs> for, for, for my money it, it, it i think it it's in in some ways like dickens is credited as essentially is inventing modern christmas and and the sort of the the, the, the sort of message of peace and hope and mm. goodwill to all men and all that he kind of really solidified that idea with that story and and we get a version of it here but it because there is so much else going on that we lose a lot of the inherent simplicity of that message and so we get a little bit of oh time don't be miserly with your time if you've got life live it and make the most of it and but also like the threat is that the spaceship's crashing yeah and that sort of happens for two minutes at the beginning, two yeah. minutes at the end, and then you sort of forget about it. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes more about the Doctor psychologically manipulating a child yeah. to try and make them a better no, person. I, I... It's a weird one. Yeah, it's a re- it. It's a big swing, and it doesn't. It doesn't quite connect. No. I don't think. Yeah. No. So yeah, not one of my all time favorites. But hey ho. Um, now we're done and dusted, at least. Uh, next week, we will be discussing Series 5 as a whole. Mm-hmm. Doing, you know, indulging in some uh, pointless ranking of things. And uh, d- d- I think digging into more of the overall themes and plotting of the series. And all of that good stuff. Um, but So join us next week for that. Until then, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And Merry Christmas. Oh, you have to. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.